Welcome to Scale with Sergio, a market scale podcast where industry experts share valuable insights in their areas, from operations and supply chain to finance and sales. I am your host, Sergio Reyes. In this episode, we will talk about managing operational uncertainty and risk, the science behind identifying and mitigating risk. Is your organization doing enough to prepare for the unknown? To help us understand the management of operational risk, we have a very impressive guest, Dr. Tyson Browning, Professor of Operations Management in the Neely School of Business at Texas Christian University, where for 17 years he has conducted research on managing complex projects and has taught MBA courses on project management, operations management, risk management, and process improvement. Dr. Browning earned two master's degrees and a PhD from MIT. He has published multiple research articles and given over 200 presentations in 17 countries. He has been a consultant for several organizations, including BNSF, General Motors, and Lockheed Martin. He is also co-editor-in-chief of the Journal of Operations Management. Tyson, thank you for joining us today. What an impressive resume. How are you? Thank you, Sergio, for that very nice introduction. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Things are going pretty well, despite these days we're living in with uh, some folks still in lockdown. I've managed to do my teaching online, and I've gotten a lot of my research done remotely as well. So things are going all right. Great to hear. I want to mention that Dr. Browning was my operations management professor at DCU. I learned a lot from him. So it's great to have him. So managing operational uncertainty and risk. I'm excited about this topic. I think every organization should do more to identify risk factors that could derail even the best conceived strategic plans. Why don't we start with some foundational definitions, Tyson, if you don't mind. Sure, Sergio. It's important to distinguish uncertainty, which is all the stuff out there in the future that we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Certainly, all of us face many types of uncertainties every day. But when it comes to a particular project or an operation or a supply chain, something that we're responsible for, something that we have particular goals or objectives for, that's the thing that we are specific, specifically focusing on as far as the uncertainties that are out there. So right away, we go from the full universe of uncertainties down to a subset that could affect our item of interest, whatever that might be. Then we want to think about risk and opportunity. There's a lot of uncertainties, but only some of them could have a negative impact potentially on our operation or supply chain or project. So we call these threatening negative potential outcomes risks. And on the other hand, uncertainty could have an upside. There's a possibility that something in the future might happen that has a positive beneficial effect. We call those opportunities. And we'll find that both risks and opportunities are uncertain, 
the difference between them is whether that uncertainty has a, a negative or a positive outcome. So that's a good foundation to begin with as we talk about uncertainty, risk, and opportunity. Well, thank you for that. Um, it is definitely helpful to understand the element of risk and opportunity identification. Yeah, so risk should always be thought of as relative to whatever particular strategy or objectives or goals we have. And something that's risky to someone else or uncertain to someone else may not be risky or uncertain as far as I'm concerned, because it may not threaten my particular goals or objectives. Uh, for example, uh, owning a stock, is it risky or not? Well, it also depends on do I need to sell it soon or not? If I have the luxury of holding on to it for a long time, then I don't really care how volatile it is right now. It's not really risky for me, even though it's highly uncertain. But if I potentially need to sell it in the short term, then it could be very risky for me to hold a, a highly volatile stock. Yeah. And you know what? That's an interesting twist on the concept of risk and uncertainty. Um, you can always hide under the bed and pretend like nothing is going you know, not affect you or impact you. And then you don't gain a lot. I think the twist in all this is that if you play the cards right and you manage uncertainty, you can even uncover opportunity, which is interesting. So based on that, how do you prepare for uncertainty? How do you leverage uncertainty and risk while managing an operation? Overall, I like to use the kind of classical standard five-step process for managing risk and opportunity. The thing about this five-step process is it's very general and people use it more or less in many cases. So I think it's a good starting point, but how you use it and the, and the details in each step can make a lot of difference. So let me just go through these steps, five major steps as an overview, and then come back to each of them and say a little more about them. Overview of the five steps. First, we want to identify risks and opportunities. Second, we want to assess them. Third, prioritize them. Fourth, respond to them. And then fifth, continue to monitor them and potentially continue to go back to step one and identify new ones. So that's an overview of kind of a general high level set of five steps that is a pretty good approach, I think, but there are pitfalls along the way. So why don't we go back and look at these steps in a little more detail. First, identifying risks. Identifying risks is not as easy as we would like it to be because how do we anticipate what might happen in the future? Clearly, it's quite possible we're going to overlook some things and be surprised. And certainly with the current COVID-19 pandemic going on, it's pretty safe to say a lot of people were surprised by this. However, not everyone was. There had been some lone voices that have been saying for a long time something like this could happen and that we needed to be better prepared. In fact, that there were steps we could have taken to be better prepared to have a plan. And this is the idea behind a lot of the risks that seem to come out of nowhere and surprise us. 
are they really unknowable? Or did we just not do our due diligence? Did we just not pay enough attention? Did we just prefer to ignore? Did we prefer to oversimplify? So one of the biggest challenges for all kinds of managers is that there's this temptation to charge ahead towards whatever goals we have, almost as if we want to have blinders on or rose-colored glasses so that we deliberately filter out the inconvenient truths around us and hope for the best. But someone has said that uh, hope is not a strategy. And the idea with risk management is we need to do enough due diligence up front in identifying risks and that, in fact, a lot of these unknowns out there are, in fact, knowable. In fact, somebody probably already knows them. It's just the challenge of getting through the filters that the managers and executives and decision makers have set up around them. Will they be in a position where they can detect these kind of weak signals, these uh, hints that there could be problems ahead, even though it's not always fun to think about the way to plan for success is to think about what could cause failure so that we can go in with our eyes wide open. If one works in an organization where certain subjects are taboo, where bad news never travels upwards because people are afraid the messenger will be shot, these are places where you already know that identifying all the risks is going to be a challenge. And it's interesting, I ask uh, students of mine uh, this question. I say, consider two projects, two very similar types of projects. One of them has identified a list of 100 risks, things that might go wrong with it. And the other project has not. Unfortunately, when you ask executives many times which of these two projects is riskier, they're going to say, well, the one with 100 risks identified, where actually it's the one that hasn't identified any risks that is the much riskier one to be getting into because they're going in very naive, very optimistic, very unlikely to be prepared, very likely to be surprised by what they encounter. Whereas the projects with 100 risks identified is hopefully then proceeding to the following steps of the risk management process and doing something about that. So that's the, the first big step of identifying risks. And we could say more about it, but let's go on to this second step of assessing risks, where for each of these risks we've identified, we want to think about at least two main characteristics. The first of these two important characteristics is how likely is it to happen? Can we give some kind of estimate of its probability? This is kind of like forecasting tomorrow's weather. Is there a 10% chance of rain? Is there a 50% chance of rain? A 90% chance of rain? We want to know something about whether this is more or less likely or unlikely. The second big attribute we want to assess about each risk is what impact would it have? What 
consequence, what effect. If this thing did happen, if it did rain tomorrow, what would it do to our project, to our operation, to our supply chain? And here, the effects could be multiple, or they could be singular. They could be in terms of dollars lost, or dollars we have to pay, or some other currencies. They could be in terms of additional labor hours. They could be in terms of lost revenue, or other types of consequences. Some of them may be not so easy to quantify. But we need to do our best to try to come up with some quantifiable metric measure of this impact. Then what often happens is we will take this probability and this impact and combine them to get something called the expected loss. For example, if the impact is that we would lose a million dollars if something happened, but this something only has a 10% chance of happening, then we would say our expected loss is $100,000. Now, this expected loss is something we have to be careful with. It's kind of like the family with 1.5 children. It doesn't actually exist. We're either going to lose a million dollars or we're going to lose nothing. So this $100,000 number is something rather we're going to just use in a relative sense to prioritize, compare with other risks. And then if we had 100 risks, maybe in the aggregate, if we added up all their expected losses, that might be a little more meaningful. But it's very dangerous to put too much stock in this expected loss term for just one risk. Going on to step three, we want to prioritize the risks. Here we would take those expected losses, 10% chance of losing a million dollars, expected loss of 100,000, and compare that with other risks, say a 1% chance of losing $100,000. So a very small risk. And when we do this type of uh, probability and impact, if we can use similar units for the impacts or convert to similar units at least, then we can get all these expected losses in similar terms like money. And then we can compare different kinds of risks, apples to apples, and prioritize them, rank them. Now, that project with 100 risks identified, most of those are probably not going to be big risks. There's probably a handful in that list that are. So when we do this ranking, we're especially interested in getting down to, say, a top 10 list of risks affecting our supply chain or our operation or our project. Now, we want to keep all 100 or however many are on the original list on a spreadsheet or in a tool somewhere. But really, most organizations aren't good at managing that many risks. It's kind of overwhelming at some level. So you may categorize them, assign them to different groups, but really you want to make sure you do a great job with that top 10 list. And for each of those, we want to move on to step four, where we're going to respond. And we've got some choices. We've got a, a bit of a menu here about how we could respond to these risks that we want to actively manage. One possibility is that we might want to avoid the risk. 
if the risk is due to the path we've chosen towards our goals, we have a particular plan that involves doing certain things to get to our goals, and that path brings certain risks with it. One option, of course, is to choose a different path, one that doesn't bring a certain risk with it. So if we change our path, if we adjust our strategy, adjust our means of getting to that destination, whatever it is that changes the way we go, we could avoid a risk. So that's always useful to think about. Another option might be to transfer the risk. Would someone else be willing to bear this risk for us? And this is what we do every time we buy insurance. We pay something, a premium for our insurance, and in turn, another party comes and bears the risk of something bigger happening, something bigger going wrong. So that's one example of how we might transfer risk. Another way to transfer it is just contractually. Could we write a contract with a supplier or a customer in a different way where they are explicitly acknowledging taking on certain risks? A third option for responding to risks is mitigating risks. This is where we do something, we take some action, plan something else as part of our means of getting to our ends that involves either changing that probability or that impact of the risk. One example is a contingency plan. If we put in place something to do if such and such happens, we're prepared to act, to respond. This contingency planning might be having a whole warehouse full of ventilators in case a SARS-type pandemic occurred, or having a lot of personal protective equipment, masks and gloves for first responders to use. These would be examples of contingency plans. And yes, they're similar to buying insurance, but Sometimes you don't get a third party to do it. You have to do it yourself in these cases. So these, these would be kind of like internal insurance, a kind of self-insurance, but one that involves you doing particular actions. A second type of mitigation idea might be prevention. Could we try to reduce the probability? So whereas contingencies try to reduce the impact they don't really change the likelihood of it happening. But in some cases, we might be able to do things proactively that might reduce the chances of something happening. And then a, a fourth type of response we always can consider is just accepting the risk, just choosing to live with it. But even here, there's a couple of sub-options, whether we do that passively or if we do that actively. If we do it passively, we're essentially saying we're gonna keep some money, like a management reserve of time or other resources available just in case, kind of a self-insurance coverage policy. But we can also accept more actively and allocate that money more specifically into certain areas 
depending on where the risks are. So we've talked about identifying risks, assessing risks, prioritizing, getting to a top 10, and then for those top 10, coming up with an active response. And now the fifth step is monitoring. We want to keep an eye on these things as we go through our project or as we manage our operations and supply chains, because some of these uncertainties may have precursors, signals that they're about to happen, more likely to happen, less likely to happen. So we can be adjusting as we get new information about these risks, but the fact that we're actively paying attention to them, we're monitoring them, uh, gives us the best possible chance of not being surprised. Now, as we're doing this monitoring, we may identify new risks. We may see new things, discover new possibilities, good or bad. We should uh, be uh, adding those to our list and assessing those and figuring how they fit in the priority as well. Now, I've been talking here mostly about risk, but one would follow a very similar process for opportunities. Opportunities are the potential upsides, things that might happen that could be beneficial. If we're developing new software, for example, for a certain platform, what if that platform has a change or an upgrade coming in the future? Will our software be ready to seize that opportunity and be released on that new version? Or are we still just going to be only on the old version? Well, we all like to think something good might happen an opportunity might materialize as we're moving forward. But the fact is, unless we have prepared ourselves to seize that opportunity, we may not in fact be able to. So just the fact that something might happen that could benefit us doesn't mean it actually will benefit us. Like with risk management, we have to maybe have a contingency plan in place. Well, the same could be true for opportunity. We need to be ready to jump on that. We need to have the resources that are necessary ready to go. We need to have the skills. We need to have designs. We need to have contracts ready to sign. Whatever it is that puts us in that position to jump on an opportunity or to deal with a risk that turns into an issue. Uh, all of this proactivity ultimately comes back to good planning. And ultimately, that's what risk management is part of. It's just good planning. This is a great um, way to lay out how to assess risk and identify opportunities. You know, I want to go back to one of your first points. And we practice it, or I practice it in my career as a, as a leader. There is no place in business for the I hope, I wish so um, here, for example, when we have meetings and you have a leader in your team saying, well, I hope this goes well. I hope this project turns out as we planned. That means that that leader has not gone through this process of identification and assessing risk. So you mentioned it before. One good way of doing it is just ignore it, which is uh, obviously not good. It's not good for the outcome. It's not good for the company. And then the other one is just tackle them and do this step process of identifying, uh, you know, identifying the impact, 
prioritizing and then mitigating. Uh, very often, um, and it's one of my pet peeves when, again, somebody says, uh, man, I, we've been doing this and I, man, I hope it goes well. And, and that is not a good sign ever. But um, all right, for to continue with this discussion, um, here's another question. How do you do this? How, um, how does a company uh, focus on risk management? Is that a separate team that has to assess this? Is it part of the project team? And then how much effort do we have to put into this? Those are great questions, ones that, of course, will come up as managers confront this idea that there's really no end to the questions I could ask about the future and what could go wrong and where do I begin, where do I stop as well? What's enough risk management? So to answer your first question, you may need one or two people or a team who you kind of see as your subject matter experts on risk management. They kind of help you make sure you have a good process in place and good content in those steps and maybe some templates, maybe some historical data that you're tracking from one project or one area of operation to another so you don't lose that knowledge as an organization. But it's very dangerous to assume that I'm going to give risk management to one person or one team or one department, and it's their job because that allows everyone else to say it's not my job. Whereas really all decisions that every manager makes in the whole organization are essentially part of risk management because management is risk management. Managers have to make decisions all the time about the future without complete information, without total certainty. So what they're really doing whenever they make one of those decisions is weighing the possibilities and the consequences and trying to minimize the risk of not getting what they want. And if you view decisions that way in general, if you view trying to execute to a strategy that way in general, then one sees that risk management is intrinsic to all of management and that these techniques and ways of thinking that come with risk management should be helpful to all managers and remind them that they need to do enough due diligence up front, that it's not good enough to say, I hope it works and that's it and not have done that due diligence. Uh, some managers will say, I didn't see that coming, even though retrospectively, of course, hindsight is 2020. The fact is that most of these things could have been seen coming if the manager had known where to look. And as a professional manager, as an executive, what you don't want is to work and act in an unprofessional way, which is to not do this due diligence, thinking about what needs to happen and what might happen uh, to reach the goals and objectives. Now, how much of it should you do? You, you admit that you need to do some, but how many resources, how many people, how much time, how much effort? Well, that really depends on a lot of things, of course, 
But generally speaking, you would think the more uncertainties that are around this, the more novelty, the more newness in what I'm trying to do, the more uh, complexity, the more pieces there are to the puzzle, the more ways they could break down or have problems. All of those things contribute to the need to put relatively more effort and resources into risk management because it's relatively more likely something surprising could be lurking in all that complexity or newness. Similarly, if you're working in an organization that is not very good at being aware of all of this stuff, generally speaking, it means maybe there are taboo subjects or inconvenient truths that people agree not to bring up then that also implies something surprising is going to have an easier time hiding until it becomes a problem. Ultimately, though, how much risk management to do could be kind of like this question of how much insurance should I buy? Uh, this is a question that, of course, each of us might answer differently. So each of us as an individual, but also as organizations, have different attitudes towards risk, have different preferences. Your financial planner will ask you, what kind of investor are you? Are you an aggressive investor? Or are you a conservative investor? How far are you from retirement may make some difference there. Similarly, organizations will be different. Uh, large organizations tend to be fairly conservative and small entrepreneurial startup companies tend to be fairly aggressive, willing to take risks that the larger companies may not be. So all of this figures into answering this question, how much risk management should I do? Uh, the, the answer is at least some in every case, but uh, whether to do more and how much and where depends on how conservative or aggressive and even aggressive companies, even startup companies, though, never want to take more risks than they have to. This is an important thing. It's not that aggressive investors or companies or individuals, they shouldn't be seeking to take risks just because all of the risks they take on should be calculated. They should be done because they're going for a goal that's more challenging. You certainly don't want to be taking a lot of risks for a less challenging goal. So always take no more risk than necessary for where you're trying to get. Well, and I was going to mention too, if the project or the area that you're trying to implement or deploy um, will dictate the direction of the company it was an integral part of the strategy. You probably, it's a good indication that you should invest more time in risk management or assessment than other ones that are less impactful projects. But let me uh, ask you one another question because in heavily regulated industries, I don't know, telecommunication, healthcare, financial sector, oil and gas, and all those there's a number of, um, I guess, government dictated regulations that they have to, and, and paperwork and all the, those 
Is that a substitute for uh, management of uncertainty and risk? It's a good point that unfortunately, a lot of companies, when they hear the words risk management, they immediately have a, a pigeonhole to put that in. They say, oh, that's compliance or regulatory risk. Yes, exactly. And we've even got a chief risk officer, perhaps, or we have a legal department, and their job is to keep us out of trouble, to keep us from running afoul of the regulators. And in our organization, that's what we call risk management. Well, that's a very narrow view of risk management. It's important, of course. It's not that risk management should be less than that, but risk management should be much, much more than that. Like I was saying earlier, essentially it's part of everyone's job, everyone who's making decisions, executives, managers, and that we can think about risk much more broadly than just potentially getting into legal problems or even just financial problems. Other organizations think of risk entirely in financial terms, options, hedging, financial instruments to help with risk management. Well, again, those are absolutely important and essential, but they're only part of the picture. And today, and with our audience interested in operations and supply networks, hopefully we see all the opportunities in those areas to do better risk and opportunity management, not just legal regulatory compliance risks, not just financial risks, but what are the risks that we won't satisfy our customers or clients? What could pop up and surprise us that might make our deliverables less valuable, that might make our customers more or less satisfied? These are types of risks that operations and supply chain managers and project managers need to be dealing with all the time. Yep, thank you for that. So um, operational uncertainty and risk is something that business operations should focus and learn to mitigate. But um, at the same time, that uh, uncertainty can generate opportunities for the organization to leverage. And if managed correctly, it could create immense value. Um, any other closing uh, points that you want to make? Uh, I, think, I think that's good for me. All right. Well, Dr. Browning, thank you so much for your time today. Great to hear your insights and perspective in this topic and see you next time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Sergio. I really enjoyed this time. Thank you. Thank you.